This episode of the Great Big Beautiful Podcast is brought to you by Comic Bento. ComicBento.com. Michael Webster, uh, who was the head of the of the department, uh, production-wise, stopped by stops by my office, pokes his head in, and says, "You better come up with an idea quickly, or this is going to be tumbleweed city here." Meaning they'd have to fire everybody. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks for putting that on my shoulders. And um, and that's when I came up with a Tailspin. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. We are on Twitter at the GBB Podcast. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash the GBB Podcast. How are you doing this week, Jamie? I'm doing fairly excellent. How are you doing, Justin? Fair, just fairly excellent. Just uh, fairly. I'm, I'm kind of busy. Got a lot of stuff going on. I'm really busy, so just fairly excellent. I, you know what? And I think it might be that time of the year with us, Sarah's getting my wife Sarah's getting close to graduation kids are winding down school for another year it's just you know it's crazy (laughs) yeah it really is there's a lot of stuff going on right now but you know I'm here and I'm loving it and I'm glad to be here and I'm glad people are listening to us me too and before we start today we just wanted to talk about something this week is brought to you by comic bento and comicbento.com is the website there are a lot of subscription boxes out there different geek type ones and this is a really neat one, Jamie. And they sent you, they sent you some to try out. I, I did. I got um, one the this month's package. Um, and it's it's always I like you know I'm I'm such a sucker for some of these boxes. You know, and it's so easy to get sucked into the hole and and you know and then suddenly you see your credit card bill and you're like, what have I done? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and I, I I've been holding off. I really only am a subscriber to one other one, uh, and it's the Star Wars one from Funko because it's just cool. Even though I don't need more of their stuff, but I've been holding off on any of the other ones. And then um, Comic Bento came to came, and uh, it looked really awesome. And I am I'm a comic book fan. I'm a longtime comic book reader, um, but I've sort of been falling off the wagon a little bit. Uh, it's just got to be a really expensive habit. Um, and there's, I know there's so much, there's a lot more out there than most people think. Um, and the nice thing about comic bento is that, uh, you know, you get trade paperback, you got this month, we got four trade paperbacks in the box. Um, they're all book ones and they're also, that means that they're all a great place to jump on, um, with whatever story it is. And, uh, quite honestly, I'd only ever heard of one of them before. And it was, uh, from Marvel fantastic four. Obviously I've heard of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the other three books, um, look amazing. I've started reading them. They state they are amazing, incredible art. Um, we've got from Titan comics, uh, surface tension from Jay Gunn, uh, from Valiant, the book of death. And from Aspen Comics, a book called The Four Points. Uh, and now these are all first volumes of their stories. So like I said, they're a great place to jump on. If you're a comic fan, if you're looking to sort of branch out and, you know, get something new on your bookshelf, uh, and, you know, not just have superheroes or, or, you know, Star Wars comics or whatever it is that you're comfortable with, 
this is a great way to do it. And it's not that expensive to buy in either. Right. And you can you can go to the website to comicbento.com and you can see right on the title they have all of the different comic studios that they that are the comic publishers that they release from and they send them from. And that's really neat. And the buy-in, there's three different plans. You can do the one month plan, the three month, or the six month. And the one month is twenty dollars a month plus shipping and handling. And then the three month it drops it down a little bit. You get a little bit of a deal to sign up for three months. It's eighteen thirty four per month. And then the six month plan, best bang for your buck, seventeen fifty per month. But but there's more. <laughs> oh, what but wait, there's more. Because And con- let, let me just say before you get to that, yeah, just even if you're buying in for one month, which is, you know, what, twenty bucks, you're getting far more than twenty dollar value right. out of this box. Just the, the Fantastic Four book alone that came with this month's box was a hardcover and it's cover priced at twenty four ninety nine. You know, so with four books, you're definitely getting your values worth and that's a that's an incredible bargain for what you're getting. Right. And because uh, Comic Bento is a sponsor of Geek Dad and the Great Big Beautiful Podcast, they have given us a code to give out to you so you can save some money on your purchase. And it's a $5 off coupon, I believe. Is that what it is? It is. Okay. If you go to comicbento.com, um, they also have a second box, which we're going to be talking about on a future episode, uh, Board Game Bento. Um, if you use the code GEEKDAD, um, one word, all one word, Geek Dad. When you check out, uh, you're going to get five dollars off any subscription level on either type of box. That sounds like a great deal to me. It does. <laughs> and if you, uh, if you guys, if anybody out there listening, you know, goes through and and does it and takes a chance, let us know if you like it or not. Because I am very pleased with the one box that I got. So let me know if you like it. Fantastic. So this week on our show. We interviewed gummy bears. I'm going to sing it. Oh, you've now got it in my head. (laughs) We interviewed, in my mind, a Disney legend for Disney animation. And he, he has a hand in creating some of the most memorable shows of all time that aired on for Disney. And he wrote the Goofy movie, which, you know... A lot of I, I think it's one of the, my favorite movies uh, for animation as a kid. F- funny enough, I loved it. I really connected with it when it came out. Yeah. I really enjoyed it, as I'm sure a lot of people did. And it just celebrated 20 years, if you can believe it. That's phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> On the, the but, high dad soup, I'll never. Forget. <laughs> yeah, but Jim Jim Megan is. Um, he was co-creator of uh, you know Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, mm-hmm. Tailspin. Gummy Bears, Goof Troop, and that's just for the Disney Afternoon. I mean, he, he's worked extensively in animation for other shows on Disney, other non-Disney shows and movies. Um, and what might be even more impressive to me, I don't know if impressive is the right word, more, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just blanking on the word. He was pretty much the driving creative force for the old um, Disneyland record Buena Vista's right. um, record, the old uh, read-along storybook records. Um, I still have most of mine from a kid, and I, I just I, I ripped them to MV3. And my kids, when they were smaller than they are now, they would just listen to them for, again and again. But the Star Wars records, the the Star Wars quote-unquote spin-off, the ones they 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 pulled from some of the old Marvel comics. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't. It was Disneyland Records was the label, but it wasn't just Disney movies or or, or franchises. Pro, you know, products back then it was they did everything um and those books were just such a such a part of my childhood and like you know i can still hear the little voice now you know 
read along with me in your book. You know, turn the page when you hear R2-D2 beep like this. <laughs> I loved it. And the Disney ones had Tinkerbell, you know, mm-hmm. turn the page when you hear Tinkerbell, you know, ring her chimes. Right. Um, yeah. And he was he was basically the creative force behind those, you know, like, right. like he was the guy. Yeah. And we, in, the, in this conversation that we had with him, he, he tells a lot of great stories. He offers a lot. I find these guys that have been around in the industry for a while, they have great stories and they have yeah. great insight. And it's just such a fun interview. And I know that everybody's going to love it. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> Let's not sell it too much. You're, <laughs> you're going to like it at the very minimum. <laughs> I, hope, I hope so. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to play it for you right now. Enjoy. Jim, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. This is, I hope, going to be... Um, fascinating conversation i did a lot of research and it's just sort of i i dug up so many more questions than i thought that i was going to have so i'm really looking forward to them. we'll start at the beginning um <laughs> be, before uh before you worked for disney i know that you sort of began your career producing children's records right. um and i know you did that for disney and i'm not sure if you did that before you started with disney also but can you just talk a little bit about that like what what it was that you did uh sure absolutely um Actually, I started at Disney producing records. Uh, I got the gig because I had uh, produced, written and produced some uh, radio comedies uh, at my college radio station. And uh, that was my stepping stone to doing story records for Disney because it was very much like doing radio with uh, music, uh, dialogue, and sound effects. So um, the first project I did for them was Little Golden Books. I did 24 of those classic titles like Mm -hmm. Saggy Baggy Elephant and the Tawny Scrawny Lion. I love those books. And um, anyway, I uh, it was a part, it was only supposed to be like a two-month gig, and uh, they found out, oh, well, we want to redo this record. Oh, we want to do this. And the next thing, I had a full-time job. So I did that for eight years, producing uh, mostly story records, but I also did uh, music albums like Mickey Mouse Disco and Going Quackers and children's favorites, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then when um, Mr. Eisner took over the company in 1984, he wanted to start a TV animation department. And uh, somehow, because I was a middle-aged boy genius, um, I got invited to his house uh, on a Sunday morning, and he laid out his plans for this new division, uh, TV animation. And next thing, I was uh, creating a show for him called Gummy Bears. <laughs> so, go figure. We uh, we'll get to that because I know that there's a whole bunch of stories there. Um, but I you so you worked on the the records, the LPs that were under the Disneyland label. Is that what you were doing? Correct. Uh, I love those those records. I mean, I have such strong happy memories um, with children's storybook LPs from when I was a kid. The, the Disneyland story story records and just all variety because when I was a kid in the eighties, they were the thing to have. Like that's, you know, I mean, we had TV, but it was like these right. records were, were just everywhere. Um, right. and, when, and when were you born? If I may ask, I was born in 78. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, oh, you're, you're the, you're the prime target. So. I, I, I am. I, you know, and it's, so it's, I have very strong memories um, with these records and actually my mom kept all of my old records from when I was a kid and, um, she's since given many of them to me and I've ripped them to MP3 and now my kids listen to them. Okay. Um, you can send them to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they're not, 
I mean, obviously they're not something that's being actively made today. Like even, I mean, obviously not with records, but there's not even really like, I mean, there's audiobooks, but there's not these, like this, they're, they're kind of a different thing. There aren't like storybooks right. that, that kids are just listening to. Um, and I'm wondering, do you think that's, is that a loss for kids today or has it just been replaced with something else that's still, you know, rich storytelling and just in a different format? That's a really interesting question. I mean, obviously, um, with technology and social media, everything is changing. Um, but I, I think kids still like being read to. Yeah. And, and that was, uh, the point of the records, I think was to free up mom and dad from having to read this 24 page book and having a professional uh, narrator and actors, uh, you know, act it out. So it was like a children's audio book, but it always felt more to me, uh, like radio shows. And I believe you, I miss, I miss radio yeah. uh, drama a whole bunch because, uh, I, I have uh, stacks of, uh, uh, CDs here of MP3s from uh, the good old days before, uh, even before I, I was born. Hold on one second. Uh, hold on. <laughs> Message. And I call you later. There you go. <laughs> All right. Um, so anyway, uh, I, I love that format. And, um, you know, somebody was telling me the other day that they, they enjoyed the Star Wars record so much because it sort of felt like they were watching the movie, even yeah. though it was a, a second cast that was, uh, you know, recreating the storyline. Yeah. And um, and they said, gee, I can't even think what you left out of the story. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was only 12 minutes long. I Did you do those? <laughs> but uh, Did you do those, those the Star yeah. Wars? That, that was you? But because because uh, the music company at, at Disney became so uh, uh, prolific, we ended up doing... Um, the Charlie Brown Peanuts records. We did uh, Star Wars, mm -hmm. Indiana Jones, Dune, <laughs> Black <laughs> Stallion. We did a whole bunch of uh, other companies' uh, yeah. audiobooks. Yeah, and those are, I, I've, I've actually written about these because I love them and I still have many of them. Um, cool. But these were like the little 45 size records that came sort of in a little sleeve in the back of the book and it was a little storybook and you would, you know, you know, when R2-D2 beeps, you turn the page or when Tinkerbell, exactly. you know, chimes, you turn the page. Um, yeah. I didn't even realize that you, that was, that was you. That was, those are the books that you read. I adore those books. <laughs> and my daughter, um, I, I've written about this for actually for starwars.com. Um, she, we, I ripped these to MP3 and we would listen to these in the car nonstop. And it was funny because some of the ones that were the quote unquote expanded universe, you know, like the droid world was a particular favorite. She listened to droid world. Like I, I, I must've heard this hundreds of times in the car because we had to listen to droid world again and again and again. So I, if, if, if we weren't on Skype right now, I would be shaking your hand for creating these <laughs> records because I love them. And they're, they've become such a huge part of my own kids' lives now. That's funny because uh... You know, it's uh, I never knew whether those were heard very much because basically uh, Lucasfilm dumped a stack of comic books on me from Marvel and said, go through these and see if there's anything that you want to make into a record. So I picked uh, Planet of the Hoojibs and uh, Droid World. Yeah. And um, we had to do all new art for it because we couldn't use the comic book art. And uh, I thought they turned out pretty darn good. So Yeah. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You just kind of blew my mind because 
Wow, I could have had six more questions just about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, call me back. You know? <laughs> well, you, you mentioned, you know, old time radio and that you did it when you were in college. You've got a stack of CDs. I do as well. I, I'm a huge fan of, you know, old time radio from the 30s, to the 50s. Um, are you, obviously, you're still a fan if you say you've got a whole bunch of MP3s. Do you have any favorite shows? You know what? I, I'm a sucker for the Goon Show, which is a British uh, radio comedy show. Uh, but here domestically, I, I liked um, I liked The Saint. I, I mm-hmm. think that was Vincent Price playing The Saint. I liked uh, Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Yeah. And uh, even the westerns I'll listen to, the uh, Gunsmokes and, and whatnot. So uh, yeah. it, it's just like that. The, the whole genre was just so fascinating to me yeah. because, you know, I am the shadow. It, you know, you can create images in people's heads, and you don't have to build a set to do it. You know, yeah. it's just wonderful. The the yours truly Johnny Dollar was is so funny because t- I don't think today anybody would even give the idea of a what was he he called himself insurance like, the freelance insurance um, adjuster or something. You know, like who who would think to pitch that idea today, and it would yeah. never sell. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of the old, like the old mysteries, like suspense yep. and inner sanctum, yeah, escape. I love, I love those shows. Right, and I don't know. I'm not sure if uh, iTunes still does this, but they used to have a radio station that would play them all. And uh-huh. this was way back, you know, 2004. And I remember when I was in college, I would always put them on when I was doing work and stuff. Yeah. I love them. Yeah, I've got That's a whole fantastic. bunch of them on, on on MP3 as well. I could just listen to them forever. Oh, they're great. So. <laughs> So you worked at Disney, oh, Superman, uh, you worked at Disney for more than 15 years. Was all of that time spent between the record and music department and in television? Correct. Uh, eight years with the music company and uh, nine years with um, TV animation. Something that I read, which I found just absolutely fascinating, is that you said that you had never produced a record before working at Disney Music, and you had never worked in television before working with Disney TV, um, <laughs> and that you had no formal screenwriting training before you started writing for the, for the shows. <laughs> for those of you listening, he's just sitting there smiling and, mean, and shaking his totally. head. <laughs> yes. Um, no, you're absolutely right about all that. Uh, was it just a matter of being in the right place at the right time then? Um, that always counts. Um, but... I think the thing that I try and stress to, uh, um, you know, young people or, or my, uh, I, I teach writing. So to my students is, um, you know, everybody says, well, you're lucky. Well, luck is just being ready when the opportunity presents itself. And so, you know, the fact that I did tons of stage shows and had been performing since I was two and had been writing comedy, bad comedy skits, you know, when I was in high school, uh, all that stuff was just, um, you know, the stepping stones to, hey, do you want to produce these records? Yeah, I was ready, you know. So, so was that, I mean, because you had sort of didn't have, you know, years of experience before you were just dropped into those roles, did you, did you, was, I mean, obviously it was a lot of learning as you went, trial by fire kind of thing, but was yes. the, was the environment there conducive to that? Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, what's wonderful is uh, the music company was not a huge moneymaker for the consumer products division of of, uh, Disney. Uh, They they sort of made their mark with Mary Poppins in 64 Mm -hmm. because they sold everything 14 ways. Um, 
And then they never really branched out after that. So it was a very low key place when I walked in and all of a sudden we were doing, you know, we were selling uh, platinum records. So, you know, nobody was looking over our shoulders and saying, do this, do that. You're doing it wrong. You're doing it right. Uh, same with TV animation. Um, you know, the, anim the feature animation department just looked down their noses at, at TV animation. And uh, so, you know, there was nobody really saying, you're, you know, you're doing this wrong. Uh, you know, we're <coughs> going to teach you. Uh, because <laughs> we'd never had a TV department before, yeah. you know. So it was, uh, I remember one day Art Patello, who uh, was the uh, director, producer of Gummy Bears, and he said, are, are we doing... Are we doing Disney? And I said, well, I guess because we're Disney and we're doing it, I guess we're doing Disney, you know? <laughs> I mean, we didn't know. We yeah. didn't know what a Disney TV, you know, uh, cartoon show looked like. You just, you were making it up as you went along. Yeah. Huh. Uh, yeah. I mean, do you think that that kind of an experience that you've had with your career where you just sort of, you know, you like you were saying, it wasn't, it wasn't luck. You were just ready for the opportunity when it came, even though you didn't necessarily have that experience. Do you think that that kind of journey would be possible today for somebody who's who's just starting out? <clears throat> uh, again, I, I can't say because, uh, you know, everybody's journey is different. Um, you know, like I said, to just, just be ready. I think what's amazing right now that I didn't have the opportunity uh, with uh, was the Internet. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was 15, I was 13 to 15, I was making eight millimeter films, silent movies, you know, uh, writing them, directing them. They were horrible. But, you know, I mean, you're, you're teaching yourself film and cutting and, and there were no classes back then for that kind of thing. Now, you know, maybe I could get into a couple of, uh, uh, you know, film contests back then. But now I could have made those things, added sound, added blood splatters, explosions, you know, yeah. all the things that my son can do now on the internet, uh, on his on his computer, on his phone, on his phone, yeah, and and post it, and and suddenly, you know, a couple million people have seen it. It's crazy. So, uh, I use this analogy, and, and forgive me if you've heard it before, but uh, back during the old west, uh, there was a saying that um, uh, you know God created men big and small, but it, Colt, Samuel Colt made them all equal, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the internet has done the same thing. It's that you don't have to be a movie mogul to get in front of, you know, 20 million people <laughs> with your products. It's, it's astonishing. So do, do people today have that kind of opportunity? Golly, I think they probably have a better opportunity. Uh, you know, they, you, you shouldn't believe for a second that there aren't people at studios looking at YouTube. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <They are. laughs> yeah. No, it, it is. It's 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 kind of mind blowing the audiences that just regular people can get by putting up some videos. And that's not necessarily meaning that they're making any money or they're going to be successful at it. Some of them make an obscene amount of money making dumb videos. But, you know, the creativity that can be seen that you never would have seen not even five years ago. You know, right. it's, it's, it's great. Now, it, it yeah, really now nobody can stop your vision, yeah. you know, except you. Exactly. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so, we, um, one of our earlier shows, we had uh, Tad Stones on yeah. and uh, he told a story about you kind of, um, he told a story about when you and Gary Kreisel pitched, uh, it was then called Jumble Isle. 
um, to, I guess it was Hasbro and eventually morphed into the Wuzzles and it was a, right. you know, collaboration. Um, I was wondering if you could maybe talk about that original pitch and what, what happened there, because he just kind of touched on it. <laughs> well, the first show uh, that I was assigned to was Gummy Bears, but the, the first show that really got a lot of development attention was was Wuzzles. Mm -hmm. And um, because we had Jumble and Hasbro had Wuzzles, it was, uh, you know, obvious that it would be easier to collaborate than try and get into a copyright, you know, uh, problem. And, and again, I'm not the business guy, so I don't know the ins and outs of what it was they decided, but... Um, because, because Wuzzles became somebody else's show, somebody else's baby, uh, once we sort of figured out all the characters, I, I withdrew from the project and concentrated on gummy bears. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm afraid I, I can't really give you a lot of yeah. fascinating insight <laughs> as to how that happened. It, it's it just the way that he was saying he mentioned it because it was, you know, this two two different companies basically had the same idea. And right. I, I got to imagine that happens more than we as the general public oh, yeah. hear about. I mean, I'm sure it's I mean, some of these things, you know, there was, you know, you, we laughed then and we laugh about it now. And there was like the two ant movies at the same time or the, yes, the, exactly. the two, you know, the two whatever movies that came out at the same time. Right. Um, but I'm sure that it happens many times and they don't actually both push through and actually develop whatever it is, but it's right. just, they have the same idea at the same time. So right. I just thought it was interesting because instead of one of you abandoning it, you you work together kind of to create something. Yeah. I mean, Hasbro already had a name and, and a toy line. You yeah. know, why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you have, you happen to be at Disney for the ground floor of something huge. You were there in 84 oh, yeah. when Eisner took over. Oh yeah, and made a concerted effort to bring TV animation uh, to bring a department for it. So I'm curious what the general feeling around the studio was during that time. Did you guys all think he was crazy, or yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, not, <laughs> not crazy in the sense that that's a dumb idea? Uh, here's what happened, and I've told this story so many times that it's starting to feel apocryphal, but it's true. Um, the uh, uh, Tad was in the room. Gary Crosso was in the room. I was in the room. Michael Webster was in the room, and along with Frank Wells and, and Michael Webster, uh, Michael Eisner. Eisner. <laughs> and this was Michael's living room on a Sunday morning, and we just sat in the living room and chatted about the possibilities. And and Eisner said that his children, who I'd just seen eating cereal in the kitchen, had been to camp and had eaten this candy called gummy bears and they were raving about gummy bears gummy bears and he i don't know why he looked at me because he didn't know me from adam and he said make me a show called gummy bears and so <laughs> after the after the meeting we all went down to uh, brentwood or or whatever santa monica whatever was down down the hill from his estate and <laughs> we went into a coffee shop and kind of looked at each other and scratched our heads and said He's crazy. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's like, here's your, here's your uh, main character and we eat him every week, you know? Yeah. It's just like, God, that's stupid, you know? Um, so then it was, you know what, it'll go away because every executive we'd ever dealt with had great ideas and then wandered off and did something else. So I went back to producing records and I get a call on the phone. <laughs> 
it's it's the president of the company. <laughs> hey, Jim, it's Michael. Oh, hi. Uh, what I do? You know, Where, where's my show? Oh, God, it's come along great, you know. And I instantly start typing, you know, some of the worst ideas on the planet. We had um, a bad guy named Licorice Whip, and uh, we had a we had a villainous traitor gummy bear called Scummy Gummy. Oh, it was horrible. But see, I really want to read a story about Licorice Whip now. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I've, I've heard about it because Tad talked about this meeting too, and I've read about it. And, you know, he called everybody in on a Sunday and said, let's basically, let's start TV animation. Right. Um, aside from looking at you and saying, give me a gummy bear show and right. the general let's start TV animation. What, what else sort of specifically came out of that meeting? Was gummy bears really his only idea just to launch this new department? Well, I, I think uh, Gary mentioned that, you know, we were working on this, uh, we had this uh, Wuzzles thing. I think that was already yeah. sitting around at the time. So, um, those were the two ideas that were that came out of that yeah. you know um it's not like we had a development department we didn't yeah. have any department you know <laughs> in fact what's funny is um there was a, a gentleman named lenny rips who's a who's a famous uh tv show developer and, and story editor and he developed full house which you may have heard of mm -hmm. and and lenny was at that time on retainer to disney for some project and he wasn't doing anything at the time so he was like maybe writing out his contract or something and they, he had an office in the animation building and we would go over there because we didn't have any offices then and we would sit in Lenny's room and he would set up a coffee table and Gary would sit here and Lenny would sit here and Michael Webster would sit here and I'd sit here and I was the only creative TV animation guy at the time, <laughs> you know, it was, it was an executive, an executive and a, and a sitcom writer from another department, you know? So, um, and we would just say, what would be funny, an elephant and a rhino, you know, <laughs> elephino. Um, and um, that's, that's how, the, that's how the department started. There was, it was nobody. Yeah. Nobody telling you what not to do, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, out of that, you know, cloud of uncertainty, I guess you could call it with no oversight. I mean, you guys, you had, you had a huge hand in creating what's now become iconic in the Disney afternoon. I mean, you personally, um, along with lots of other people, yeah. um, I mean, you co-created Gummy Bears, Rescue Rangers, Tailspin, Goof Troop. I mean, these are some of when, when people, you know, my age and a little bit younger look back on the shows that were like such a predominant part of when they were younger um these are the shows that spring right to the top of the pile sure. um so did you sort of have like a list of characters that were up for grabs and did each project develop naturally or like like or were there some of them like more of a fight to get to sort of no, hammer no, out? No. um because we were such a young company and we were so small I mean, you could fit all of us in a minivan at one time. Um, you know, we would have meetings where everything was open to, you know, what, what, we got an idea kind yeah. of thing. 
And um, the development, the Wednesday morning development meetings didn't happen right away. You know, that's where all the writers would come in and we would sit and, and throw ideas around. A lot of things sat on the books for years and never got made. Yeah. Um, basically, we were kind of living hand to mouth. In fact, uh, I'll give you an example. Tad and I were in kind of an enviable position where when I was show running, when I was doing a show, it was a show I developed and he would be then developing a show. And then when I was done, I'd go back into development and he would produce the show that he sold. Right. So we were kind of flip-flopping like that. Um, and that was the development process. <laughs> and while he was working on Rescue Rangers, uh, I was um, developing a show called B Players, which were all the was very much like Roger Rabbit. It was all the characters on the back lot who weren't working kind of thing. And um, we pitched that show a couple of times. And finally, uh, Katzenberg said, don't ever mention that project to me again. Well, we had all our eggs in that basket. That was going to be the next 65 episode, you know, um, uh, you know, yeah. gem in the crown yeah. kind of thing. And it went completely in the toilet. So um, Michael Webster, uh, who was the head of the, of the department uh, production-wise, by, stops by my office, pokes his head in and says, you better come up with an idea quickly or this is going to be Tumbleweed City here, meaning they'd have to fire everybody. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks for putting that on my shoulders. And, um, and that's when I came up with uh, Tailspin. So... Uh, you know, that was the process. It wasn't like, oh, look at these riches we have that we'll just pull out of the <laughs> treasure chest and put on TV, you know. Um, I, we were we were creating a lot of that stuff from scratch. Yeah. So so, so other than DuckTales, which was the wonderful Carl Barks world, you know, most of that stuff just came out of our heads. So what happened with B-Players? What was the complaint against it? Uh, it wasn't a home run, as they used to say. Yeah. Uh, it starred Baloo, mm -hmm. who had been in two movies, uh, Jungle Book and Robin Hood, mm -hmm. as Little John. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, it starred a distant cousin of Mickey Mouse named Ricky Rat. And <laughs> Baloo and Ricky were always looking for a way to put us in something, you know? And so the B players were all the back lot, like Clarabelle Cow and, you know. Yeah. Peter platypus and just, you know, and it never gelled. I mean, it was, it was a funny idea, but it, it never gelled uh, enough for the executives. So. It's funny. It sounds like aspects of that kind of made it into what was Animaniacs, you know, the idea of, you know, all these characters that are there on the lot and they just yeah. kind of put together and do their own little skits and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was definitely uh, the tale of of the Roger Rabbit dog, you know. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. In fact, I I think I have on my blog I I've written a couple of chapters about how that got developed. So if anybody wants to go to mm -hmm. jimmagon.com, they can read about it. Oh, we'll definitely. We'll link to that. I mean, you said that you had all of your eggs in that basket. How much development work had actually been done? By, by the time it was shot down. Sure. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that we would do is, besides uh, writing up all the characters just for ourselves, uh, we would do pitch cards, which would be about 
I'm, I'm holding my hands up for for the radio audience so that you can see it was this big. Like no, <laughs> two feet by two feet. They were about like two feet by a foot and a half tall. And um, that we would pitch shows and we would literally, you know, this yeah. is me players, blah, 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 you know, flip the card. Next picture. This is Baloo. You know, he likes to get into trouble and flip the card. You know, they were just gags and, yeah. and whatnot. And so we had a whole pitch made up and we pitched it and rewrote it and repitched it and rewrote it. Um, so there was a lot of work in it. You know, that was that was the next show and it got thrown out. <laughs> oh, must have been, I mean, oh, no. must, I mean, I don't know how much time you spent there, obviously a lot, but it must have been heartbreaking at that point to just be like, to, to not only be like, well, no, maybe if you refine it, we can salvage something, but it's just to be told like, no, I don't ever want to hear about this again. Yeah, exactly. Well, actually what Katzenberg says is if you mention B players again, I'll throw you out that window. So <laughs> it was a little more emphatic than that. But um, he, uh, you, you know, what's interesting is everything we developed basically went. So it was kind of a blow in that sense that, Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> We've gotten a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> but you managed to save Baloo. Well, we did save Baloo. And uh, and I went to Mark Zaslov, who was working on Winnie the Pooh at the time. And I said, let me pitch you this idea. And we started kicking it around. And we had a new show in three days. And we pitched it. And that was Tailspin. And it, and it was sold instantly. Yeah. Well, so... <laughs> We spent three days on it. <laughs> it's kind of uh, revealing about the television development process. <laughs> you know, that that's just it. You know, you don't know when inspiration's going to hit. Sometimes it comes out of just, you know, terror sweats. You yeah. Know? Well, it's funny because that was actually, I was going to ask you about that. And, you know, I was reading on Wikipedia. And if you can't trust Wikipedia, I don't know who you can trust. Um, but it, it, it said, always trust Cthulhu. There you go. Oh. <laughs> it actually, it, it, it said that. And that was my question that when you were coming up with the idea for tailspin, that it seemed like it was almost like a very last minute, you were, you were yeah. up against the deadline and you just yeah. threw it together. And that was that. And it was just, obviously there is truth to that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, like I said, you know, it, it, we were close to shutting down the division if we didn't have the next show. So when you made that initial pitch for Tailspin, was it well received or did you have to do any tweaking or was it just, that's awesome. Go for it. Oh no, it was, <laughs> it was totally well received. It's just, uh, then we had to develop it. I mean, right. um, I imagine both of you are familiar with the property. Uh, mm -hmm. The, uh, the iron vulture, which is the ship that um, Don Carnage and his pirate crew flies looked very um, uh, science fiction-y. Mm -hmm. originally and it didn't sort of match the time period of 1930s so that had to be redeveloped and then we had to figure out what the bears looked like when they were dressed and you know just lots of just lots of things you know Shere Khan wasn't in the original pitch and uh you know it's it, <laughs> the pirates actually had a French poodle in with them at one time <laughs> I mean it was very bizarre <laughs> but but that's just part of the process. I mean, you know, you can write a Bible, uh, a show compendium, which has all the facts in it, and you can make it as perfect as possible and hand it out. And the minute you start writing scripts, the Bible changes because yeah. you realize, oh, we can't do that, or oh, this is a better idea. Yeah. Um, tailspin, especially, it feels like it's such a like a 
compilation of different influences. You know, you look at DuckTales and obviously it's Karl Barks all over it. Right. Um, and, you know, Rescue Rangers has, you know, it's it's those characters, but they're, you know, they're just doing like a mystery at an episode. But Tailspin, obviously, I mean, it comes from the Jungle Book characters, but it, I mean, it's also got a lot of these other, I was, maybe it's just I didn't realize it when I was a kid, but I never really realized that, you know, it was, it was their relationship was Cheers. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was it was Sam it was Sam and, and Rebecca, um, yeah. but I mean, so I mean once you hit on that idea of of let's put the Jungle Book characters in this new setting in the 1930s and their pilots and this is what we're going to do this is the conceit, right? How long in the grand scheme of things did it take for all of those other pieces to just fall into place and and for you to just this is our this is our story and and we're golden we can just run with it now. Um, I've often said in my writing class that. One of the reasons I think that Tailspin works so well is that the uh, it, it has uh, three legs to it. It's a, a tripod, and it's got Baloo and Kit and Rebecca. And I, and I leave the other ancillary characters off to the side. These are the main three. And that it was, it was Kit needing a mother and a father. Mm-hmm. It was Baloo needing a, a boss and someone that he had to be responsible for, uh, the Mowgli character. And it was Rebecca who, you know, wanted to be a mother to this boy, but also was trying to run a business she didn't know how to do. And and because each one of them was sort of leaning on the other, it became a really stable um, a cast um, to work with. And I said, you know, even if we lock these three in a basement of of the of the building, we could do a half hour episode with them because they're interesting characters and we understand their dynamics. Sure. And I think when that clicked. Uh, is when we said, okay, everything else is just icing. You know, the, the look of the place, the time, the, the period, the planes, the pirates, everything, uh, you know, will all fit around that. Yeah. It, some of the most defining characteristics of Tailspin, um, you know, the, it, that it's it's a period piece. It's, it's centered right. around pilots. It's got these air pirates. Um, there are obvious parallels to Miyazaki. In um, several of his films, um, I mean, I I think that, that that's fair to say, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I'm just obviously you're a fan. Is that well, I mean, I, I will tell you. Here's here's the great story. I I've been a cartoon fan uh, since I was a kid. I watched cartoons right up through college. I was kind of the oddball uh, in my dormitory. You know, they would get up and watch Saturday morning cartoons in the in the <laughs> room. And um, oddly enough, for all of my knowledge about animation. I had never heard of Miyazaki at the time that uh, I started in TV animation. And it was Art Vitello that came in and he, you know, like two computers trying to figure out what language they speak. You know, I'm yeah. Cobol, are you Fortran? You know, <laughs> we, you know, we kind of asked each other questions like where were our touchstones? You know, what, what things did we have in common? And he asked me about Miyazaki and I said, I've never heard of him. He says, before we even talk about our show, watch these. And he sat me down and, I, I watched Nausicaa and um, uh, Lapida, mm-hmm. and um, it was like, yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> and this was during Gummy Bears. You know, this wasn't Tailspin. And so um, you can see some, you can see some Miyazaki in the Gummy Bears. Um, you know, even uh, the feature department in Rescuers Down Under mm-hmm. did a huge Miyazaki sequence. Uh, and I thought it was very nice that. When Miyazaki did Porco Rosso, he took a fat pilot 
mm-hmm. stuck him in a plane, put him in a little cove between two uh, mountains, and put a bunch of air pirates in there. And it was like, you like our show too, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so you know? there's a little back and forth of influencing yeah, exactly. each other. So I assume he saw a tailspin. Yeah. That's funny that you know you were influenced by him, and then he clearly took elements of your show and was influenced. I mean, he had written Porco Rosso. I don't know what it was originally called, the manga, but he had orig- he had written it before Tailspin. Um, yeah. But then there were a lot of changes in, into the film. But yeah, that's fascinating. It's fascinating how it goes. Um, so, uh, excuse me. I was about to ask a question, and I stuttered. No, go for it. <laughs> Is it because of Canada? Yeah, it's, it's too cold. I'm freezing. Wow. <laughs> Um, so you had a hand in creating a lot of the, or hand in a lot of the Disney afternoon shows that people regard today with an, a crazy amount of nostalgia, including myself and I'm sure Jamie, yeah. we've talked about it a lot. Do you, and I know this is a hard, this might be hard, but do you have a favorite out of all of them? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you want, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, tailspin. Tailspin. I've talked to so many people that worked on that that said that was just, they loved it, you know. Uh, the the late, great Larry Latham, who was one of the uh, director-producers on the on the show, just uh, passed on about a year ago, um, he was a big pulp magazine fan, you know, Doc Savage and The Shadow and all those things. And, and I said, Larry, you're going to love this series because it's, it takes place in the 30s, and it's got big gizmos and mm-hmm. villains. And, and he, he did. He went crazy with it. Um, it's, it's a, I, I feel like I could, I could do more episodes of that, and I even have a spinoff from it that uh, Disney has. They haven't grabbed at it, but anyway, I did pitch it to them. For another show or for a yeah. feature? Yeah. Um, well, that's, I mean, that's interesting because at the moment, these properties that made up the Disney afternoon, they're going through quite a resurgence. Um, mm. I mean, a lot of it is fueled by that nostalgia, like Justin was saying, that we feel, um, you know, D- DuckTales is getting rebooted. Um, there, there have been rumors of a live action Rescue Rangers. Don't know how that's going to go over. Uh, fans, since it was canceled, fans have been clamoring for more Gargoyles. There's a new Darkwing Duck comic coming out. Yes. So, I mean, it feels like all of these properties that we, so many people loved when we were younger, are coming back in some form. Right. But noticeably absent is Tailspin, and I'm wondering why. <laughs> I, you know, this is just a, a feeling more than than anything I could prove, but I never got the sense that the Disney organization ever got behind Tailspin. Uh, merchandise-wise or promotionally. Mm-hmm. I mean, it got it got thrown into the public space because it was the new episode in the new Disney Afternoon, you know, cartoon block. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, as you know, every new season, everything would get shifted down one and the new episode, yeah. the new show mm-hmm. would be Darkwing next time, you know. Um so that's, you know, it got a certain amount of publicity because it was attached to the new Disney afternoon. Um, but, um, yeah, like I said, I, I never got the sense that uh, the organization was ever behind it. Uh, I've even heard people say, I think someone in our department didn't like it and so went out of his way to, you know. Really? Oh, no. 
but I, I can't again I can't prove anything yeah <laughs> well, it's, it's unfortunate I mean because it is like you were saying it's it has so much going on and it has so much in its favor and if you actually you know sit down and watch it it's a great show but I feel like it's for 20 years I feel like it's been sort of in the shadow of like DuckTales you know, yeah. DuckTales obviously was the the, the, the huge hit huge. from all of those shows. Yeah. Um, but it feels like, you know, Tailspin, for whatever reason, has sort of been living in the shadow of the other shows. And I don't think that that's fair at all because it's a yeah. fantastic show. Well, um, I, mean, I have control over it. I don't own it. <laughs> yeah. Are, are you, does, I mean, though, as a creator who had a hand in all those different properties, are you happy to see that these characters and these stories are having a resurgence and getting oh, retold? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's two things going on. One is they're great characters. You know, they were fun cartoons. They were well-made. They looked better than other things that were on TV at the time. Um, but second of all, you know, it, they hit at a time when you guys <laughs> were, were coming home from school and, uh, you know, it was the latchkey kid era where both parents were working mm-hmm. and the kids would let themselves in. And the babysitter was who? Disney yeah. afternoon, you know. Exactly. So I think a lot of kids have uh, an affinity for for those uh, properties because they were sort of family, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was it was the babysitter, you know. Yeah, it is. It's how we spend our afternoon after school. Yeah, you know, we come home and that would be. I mean, I was a little bit older. I was, you know, these came on in what ninety, ninety one, ninety two. Mm-hmm. So I was, I mean, I was like middle school for me. So like, I wasn't, it wasn't my childhood, but I mean, I still loved the shows and I would still watch them. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, but, do you, um, you know, like Gummy Bears hit to, what was it? 85 was when Wuzzles and Gummy Bears hit the yeah. air, you know? So you would have still been a little scratcher. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, I mean, with, with the live action Jungle Book this year, I mean, do you think that it could possibly shine a light over onto... Uh, you know the organization that i worked for and the organization that exists now are are vastly different Mm -hmm. um so i i can't speak for what they think is a good idea or not um i'll give you an example d23 which is that fan expo Mm -hmm. that that disney puts together uh they only have this expo every two years well, I went to my first one last September, and it was huge. It was gigantic. It was yeah. almost like it had kind of the intensity of uh, San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah. And people were pushing and shoving and wanting to buy things. And, it, and I just thought, Disney doesn't know what they've got. Yeah. If they only put this out every two years, uh, we did a, a 20th anniversary of the Goofy movie, and they were turning people away. We had 900 people in there and they were screaming crazy, Yeah, you know? And again, it was like, you guys don't know what you've got here. You know, we could have taken mm-hmm. this show on the road yeah. around the country and gotten this kind of response as well, you know? And, um, and I think it's a matter of the organization maybe paying more attention to what it is that the fans are looking at. Yeah. No, I, 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 I Totally agree with you. I was there at D23 and I, it was my first one also. And yeah, I think I've said this before that, you know, it was lines, lines everywhere was lines. Um, but so many of those lines were just fans wanting to buy stuff, you know, and it wasn't just the newest stuff. It was, you know, things that were calling back to, you know, other properties that maybe haven't, they haven't been made, you know, new, new things haven't been made, but 
they're making these collectibles and fans were killing themselves to get it. And I couldn't even get into the Goofy movie panel. I was there as press and I couldn't even get in because they Jeez, were the I'm line. Sorry. Yeah, the lines were incredible. But I mean, thank goodness for you too. <laughs> well, yeah. But you know, I I look at the lines for people like uh, Jim Cummings and Bill mm-hmm. Farmer, and you know, and it's wonderful that that the, the fans still remember them and want to, yeah. you know, still admire these guys. Yeah. Are you surprised at the the you know the enduring popularity of a Goofy movie? No, I think it's a really good film, and uh, I, th- I'm taking myself out of the equation. I think it's a really good film, and. Yeah. And uh, it's enduring because it it endures. You know? <laughs> yeah, it was it, like like I said, I I wasn't in the room unfortunately for that panel, but I did watch it on YouTube. And I mean, the reception that you guys all got, you know, it was just pure love from the audience. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah. they people love that film. They remember it well, and you know, it was so great for them to see all of you who had created it up there on stage. Um, it, it must have been incredibly satisfying for you, though, to just sort oh. of not only be reunited with, you know, the voice actors and everybody else, but to just sort of get that reception. Yes, because, um, you know, I often tell people that there's no applause, Yeah. In, you know, in animation, uh, especially TV, because there's no one place you can go and hear all the kids watching, you know. Yeah. <laughs> one kid eating cereal. Eating cereal. You hear the crunching. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so to to be able to go and see all these kids grown up and go crazy, it's like wow, you know. Yeah. Huh. They liked it. They like me. They like me. <laughs> so in a long career of creating some of uh, truly iconic properties, do you have a proudest achievement or moment through your whole career? Wow. Um, this is going to sound corny, but I got a letter from a mother. Uh, who had an autistic daughter, and the child hadn't spoken since she was born. She was six years old. And the uh, the mother wrote to us and said that um, she had turned on DuckTales, and they were singing the theme song. And the theme song goes, DuckTales, ooh, ooh. And the little child said, ooh, ooh. Mm. It was the first thing she'd spoken. And... And it was then that I realized that, yeah, I got to make deadlines. Yeah, I got to be creative. Yeah, it's great to be popular. Yeah, it's great to have a number one show. But when you realize that that the material is actually getting through to people, and sometimes on a very personal level, um, it's it's those letters. You know, my my father died. And Gusto Gummy became sort of my father figure growing up, you know, just you know, you think, what? Yeah. yeah. And yet it's like, I can't say what what's meeting this kid's need, you know? So I, I, I think that kind of thing makes me the most proud because we're not making cartoons in a vacuum. You know, mm-hmm. there are people watching and there are people responding to them. Mm-hmm. So even cartoons that I thought were stupid <laughs> weren't, weren't our best, you know, effort. <laughs> Some people, it resonated with them, you know? Yeah. I think it's that kind of stuff that... that I'm I'm most happy with. Yeah. No, that's I mean it's great that you, you can look back and say, you know, I you know, I did the best that I could and it made a difference. You know, and that's, that's I think that's really all that anybody could ask for in whatever you do. Um yeah, it's bravo, bravo. Um bringing it up it's sort of to more current times though. I know recently you've been working with a lot of international studios on various projects and yes, I was wondering uh-huh. if you could talk about that at all. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I left Disney in 93, I, I did a lot of freelance work for, for different studios around Hollywood, uh, but also started doing some things for small animation houses, you know, one in Texas, one in New York, you know, that kind of thing. And eventually uh, I started getting calls from people from other countries. So I was doing some consulting work for Italy. I was doing writing for England. And, you know, this led to a travel, um, which was great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Believe me, travel is great. I went to Jordan, actually, to do a, a Middle Eastern show, and that was very educational. But um, what happens here in this country is, you know, <laughs> as they say, if you're over, what was the line from a Hard Day's Night? If you're over 30, you're past it, you know? Yeah. And so, uh, as as I say to my friends when we have lunch, um, you know, we may have gotten older, but we didn't get stupid. We still know how to do this, you know. <laughs> and uh, but the the studios don't particularly feel that way in this country. So a lot of the work that I do is done overseas because they say instead of oh look, there's Jim Magon, he was famous, you know, <laughs> Disney in the in the in the eighties, you know, they say, Oh boy, there's Jim Magon, he was famous in the eighties. We've got yeah. him. He's he knows, he he knows what he's doing. He's had a yeah, lot of hits. Exactly. So so it's it's nice it's nice to still be wanted, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. So what's what's next for you? Well, uh, I'm doing another season of a show called Giggle Bug, which is out of Finland. Uh, I actually went there last fall and taught a class uh, in Finland. I uh, am doing a Russian show called Barbariki. I'm doing a show called Invention Story, which is being comes out of China being produced in Rome. So it's wow. like, you know, it's all over the place. <laughs> so as, as I sit here uh, getting my um, social security check, cause I'm retirement age, I'm finding I'm working more than I, I was last decade. You know? mm. <laughs> <laughs> so a... I'm, I'm pretty busy. I'm okay. supposed to be writing on the comic books too, for uh, Joe comics. Oh yeah. 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 Um, are you working? Uh, are you working with Aaron Sparrow on those? Or yes, actually, you know Aaron. <laughs> uh, yeah, he Aaron and um, James Silvani are doing the uh, the Darkwing Duck, the new Darkwing Duck. I don't, yes. I don't really know. I know that they've got some other stuff in, under wraps, yep. and they haven't made the announcements yet. But yeah, I've been I've been uh, tagged to do um, Ducktales until they can finally get enough titles going where they can bring Tailspin back. But yeah. Oh, well, good for you. Are, are you going to be writing it, writing them alone or with somebody else? No, just, just, just me. Who's doing the art on those? Do you know? I don't. I mean, they have a, they have a pool of artists. I've met a couple very yeah. talented. Do you know what the, uh, what, what, when, when they're targeting release for those? They don't know. They don't know. That's, that's <laughs> what I've heard. <laughs> that's why I'm not holding my breath for any of those books. That's right. <laughs> uh, Jim, thank you so much for your time. Well, that's it for this week on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. We're just cruising along through 2016. Can you believe it? It's, I, we're almost at the middle of May now. I know. It's unbelievable. I just how fast the winter the winter went really fast for me i don't know maybe it's just me <laughs> no it did for me too it's unreal i just you know it's like once i don't want to sound like that old dumb dad but you know like once once i have had kids it's sort of like i started marking time by like what grade they were in or yeah. like how old they were 
And like my daughter's about to finish first grade. And I was like, what what the heck? Like she, mm-hmm. she was just born yesterday. I don't know what's going on. So Well um, Yeah, that's the way I feel too. Like with with Hannah, she's going in that's my daughter. She's going into uh grade four next year. And uh, she only has one more year left of elementary school and then she's going on to uh middle school. How then nuts it, is that? It's just I I can't I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I can't. Okay, we're done talking about that. Yeah, we're done. Nobody wants to hear our dumb dad stories anyway. Hey, we're we are part of Geek Dad. We can be. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We'll just emphasize the dad part. <laughs> and and I am so excited about next week or in a, in a I've not maybe not next week like a a week in some away we're interviewing the legendary Lavar Burton. I know. It's, that's the one. Like I, I, I don't normally get nervous for interviews, but oh, man. I'm I'm gonna be yeah. nervous too. I mean. I, I'm telling you right now, and like I don't know what we're gonna ask him. It's yeah. like, oh. <laughs> so t- tell us about the app. That's what and, we'll you be know, like. com- <laughs> yeah, completely unprompted. Um, my daughter tonight before bed, she was just kind of walking around the house doing something, and I heard her singing the Reading Rainbow song. Nice, nice. And yeah, she's like, "Oh, we watch it at school," and I was like, "That's so cool. <laughs> that's, that's pretty <laughs> awesome." It, she she had like this look of amazement. She's like, "Well, how do you know it?" Like, 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 Dad, you're not supposed to know that. How do you know Reading Rainbow? I know. I knew. Oh. I knew Levar when he was Jordy Princess. <laughs> That's what you had to say. Except he was Reading Rainbow first. That's true. You're right. Wasn't it? Yeah, I I, so. I'm pretty oh, sure yeah, it was. Definitely yeah. for sure. Yeah, and he was Roots before that. So yeah. Kunta Kinte. There you go. Oh my God, I don't know. Well, yeah, we're we're totally gonna fanboy geek out, and it's oh, not yeah. gonna be pretty. We're it's not gonna, and we're totally coming to the table with like an hour's worth of questions for half an hour. Like, it's, yeah, there's no way it's not happening. <laughs> yeah, no, no, we're gonna have to convince him to come back. Exactly, we'll impress him so much that yeah. he'll get Picard on the show. <laughs> and yes, I called him by his character's name. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we are at, we are on Twitter at the GBP Podcast, Facebook.com/slash the GBP Podcast. I am Justin at one forty Justin C. I'm Jamie at the Roarbots. And we will see you next week. Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.